Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press. We've been so excited about the success of Douglas Wilson's brand new satirical novel, Ride Sally Ride. If you haven't heard about it, it's two decades in the future, and a college student named Ace has just destroyed his neighbor's so-called wife, who's really a sex bot named Sally, in a trash compactor. Soon, Ace will be on trial for murder. A satirical novel from an award-winning pastor about love, the crack-up of the United States, and refusing to back down when the whole world calls you crazy. Get Ride Sally Ride today at ridesallybook.com. So welcome to the podcast. This is episode 158, 158, 158. This has been, we man, this is coming up on three years. Thanks for being with us all this time. Glad to have you with us. The issue I want to talk about right now is the the election is coming up in November. One of the things I've noticed is uh, a drumbeat or a narrative that is starting to take place on the left. And I wanted to talk about this a little bit. An article was. recently published, talking about the red mirage. And what I think is happening is people are being prepped to uh, dispute the election after the election. So for a long time, for the entire modern era, election, we all knew who the new president was going to be by the time we went to bed. And occasionally there'd be some sort of slop over as as there was in the Bush-Gore election because of the hanging chads in Florida and whatnot. But as a general rule, the American expectation is that on election day, we all go to the polls, the polls close. And because this national election involving millions of people is generally not going to be a squeaker that comes down to the need for a recount, or if there's a close election in a swing state, you you know, that it generally can be sorted out. You don't come down to a three vote margin in any state, right? So, we have an expectation on that day we will know what our new direction is going to be, whether we're going to maintain the old direction or go in the new direction. Now, the polls and the received wisdom and all of this is, um, is that Joe Biden has a healthy lead in the polls. He's the front runner and so on. The problem with this is that we're early on in the campaign. None of the attack ads have uh, happened yet. None of the uh, debates have occurred yet, and there are good reasons for thinking, given the riots, given uh, COVID fatigue, given the uproar that the year 2020 has been, there are good reasons for thinking that Donald Trump might win re-election. And I think that uh, he's going to have to uh, win re-election handily, uh, as in double digits. I think it's going to have to because otherwise it's going to be contested and everything is being, uh, we are being prepped for that coming contest. Uh, just yesterday, I printed off a, uh, a set of, uh, you know, marching orders or principles from a left-wing um, task force on keeping the vote honest. Well, what happened, basically, this is what our elections have come down to. And 
I believe this is all part of God's chastisement of us as a people. Basically, in the Bush-Gore election, the squeaker in Florida, there was a contested election, and Bush successfully fended off an attempt to steal the election, which was widely perceived on the left as Bush stealing the election. So, our partisan divisions are so inflamed that you can't have your poll watchers show up at the counting stations in order to ensure a clean election without that looking like to the other side that you're tampering with the election because nobody trusts anybody anymore. So this article talked about beware the red mirage. The red mirage is election night, the election looking like it's a sweep for Donald Trump. In this task force paper, they were saying we need to get rid of the concept of election night. We, we have to forget about election night because we're not going to concede. I think the only way to avoid this is to have the, this election be a blowout in either direction. If it's a blowout on Biden's behalf, then there's really not going to be anything to contest. People, uh, conservatives are going to start grouping in places where they can defend themselves, but I think they'll be done trying to wrest control of the national government. They're going to try to get to places where they could defend themselves against the national government. But I, I don't think, I think if Biden wins handily, double digits, if it's an electoral college sweep and a popular vote sweep, then I think that everything is going to be different. I think there will be unrest, but it'll be a particular kind of unrest. Um, if Donald Trump wins handily, if it's a blowout, and particularly if it's a blowout that enables the Republicans to recapture the House of Representatives. If that happens, then uh, rioters will be prosecuted. There's going to be a crackdown uh, against that kind of civil unrest. And I think there might be uh, a few nights of rioting. There might be that sort of thing. But I think it'll stabilize fairly quickly. But if it's close, if the election is close, if it's a cliffhanger, then we need to prepare ourselves for nine miles of bad road. One of the things that I, I may um, be blogging on in the next few weeks is ways that people who have uh, the liberty to do so can volunteer to maybe travel to swing states to be poll watchers or people who monitor the, the counting of uh, mail-in ballots. And that's, a, uh, that's another thing. Uh, mail-in ballots are not the same thing as absentee ballots. So this frenzy has descended upon us, and we've got uh, this new, untested, wide-open-for-fraud method that's being introduced and, and necessary to introduce because of COVID, the, the people say. And there, there will be multiple opportunities for fraud and attempted fraud. So uh, we all need to be prepared for that. Continuing with uh, podcast episode 158. We come to homartiology. Remember, this is our study of words for sin or words for various sins in the New Testament. The next word in our study of homartiology is batalageo, batalageo. And it's the verb that means to jabber and is translated in the King James as vain repetitions. Jesus says this, talking about prayer. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions, batalageo. Use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Let me read that again. 
But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Matthew 6, 7. A very common mistake, and this is one that is very natural to the human frame, is the mistake of believing that God is interested in word counts, like that strict English teacher of English composition who tosses your thesis paper because it was 25 words short, and he was the kind of teacher who counted all the words. But that's not how the Bible teaches us to pray. Ecclesiastes 5.2 says this, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. And you think, huh, God is in heaven, you are on earth. Mind your tongue. Now, of course, we have to combine this with Thessalonians says that we're to pray without ceasing. But does this mean, what does it mean, pray without ceasing? Uh, You can eat without ceasing, meaning you sit down at the table and don't get up for three days. Or you can eat without ceasing in that, uh, and it means you never miss a meal. Uh, You have three square meals a day. I take uh, pray without ceasing in the latter sense, that prayer and times of prayer should be a regular part of your life, and you pray without ceasing that way. But God's not interested in the word count. It's a carnal impulse to think that God cares about word count, and you don't want to be like that student, exasperated student, going back over their paper, having said everything they had to say in the paper, and they try to fluff it out with, you know, adjectives, or you try to extend it with adjectives. So, it's a carnal impulse to think that God cares about a lot of words. And it's the worst kind of carnal impulse because it presents itself to us as a most earnest and godly impulse. Why can't I pray half the night away like the saints of old did? Well, did anybody tell you to? Uh, Jesus expressly says, uh, don't think, don't think like a pagan. Don't think like a Gentile. Don't use vain repetitions. Don't, don't jabber. Don't, um, and jabbering would include, incidentally, And Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that we can gather here tonight, Lord, and we just want to pray, Lord, that we are thinking about praying, and et cetera. You've all been in prayer meetings like that. So, here's our book review section for podcast episode 158. Uh, The book I want to um, commend to you here is a book called Dominion uh, by Tom Holland. Dominion by Tom Holland. And the subtitle is something like, How the Christian uh, Revolution Remade the World. Now, Tom Holland is a, he's a historian, but he's some sort of un- unbeliever, I think likely an atheist, not a believer in God. And it's a, very strange, it's a very strange book in this respect. Tom Holland is the kind of atheist who is more than willing to give Christianity its due. In other words, he's arguing that Christianity remade the world, and he is arguing that it remade that the Christian faith remade the world for the better. So uh, Holland is saying that a lot of the things that we take for granted, you might be an unbeliever in that you don't believe in God, you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe the Bible's the Word of God, and yet confess yourself, I think as Holland does, as culturally Christian. He regards himself as having been shaped by the Christian outlook and the Christian worldview, and he thinks that that is a far, far better thing than what the alternative is. I had a very similar experience reading uh, Albion's Seed. Uh, When I read Albion's Seed, you had these uh, 
you know, this long parade, you might call it a long uh, parade of eccentrics and weirdos. And Holland is giving a, and, and yet when I, when I read Albion Seed, reading about the Puritans as they came to New England, there was some serious weirdness going on in some quarters uh, among them. And yet that book was written in such a way as to, to acknowledge the weirdness and acknowledge the extremism when it happened, and yet come away with a very sympathetic view of what they were endeavoring to do and, and a very sympathetic view of, of the Puritans. So there's the white hats and black hats approach to history where you pick a side and then the, the people on the other side can't do anything right. Well, Holland is like that. I've forgotten the, the author of uh, Albion Seed, sorry. But Holland is doing the same sort of thing that that author did, where he is describing what happened, but he understands thoroughly the pagan backdrop against which the Christians were fighting. When he talks about the eradication of slavery, for example, and how this, you know, slavery is this ubiquitous, universal human institution. Slavery exists every, you know, you look at every period of history, every time, every culture, and you've got slavery. And then, as this is an argument that Thomas Sowell makes, uh, in the long history, in, in all the years of recorded history, thousands of years, you have nothing but slavery in every direction. And Sowell points out that one culture, you know, Western civilization, one, one civilization, one culture, one group, revolted against the practice of human chattel slavery and eradicated and so, of course, that one culture that revolted against slavery, Western culture, is blamed as being the unique purveyor of slavery and supremacy and, and so on. So, uh, Dominion by Tom Holland is, a, there, there are places where his unbelief comes through, and they're, they're you know, particularly when he's talking about uh, a letter attributed to Paul and, you know, a letter that we would take as genuinely Pauline and so on. But it really is a fair-minded, even-handed approach to the history of the church. So if you want to read a history of the church that uh, is written by an unbeliever, that, that is willing to give uh, you know, two cheers and sometimes three cheers to the Christians, this is a compelling book. It's, it's well-written. It's accessible. It's, uh, you, and you'll learn a lot. Dominion by Tom Holland.